Hello and welcome to another episode of Laying Down the Lore, a monthly podcast in which we aim to separate our ghouls from our goblins, our snotlings from our skaven storm fiends, and our bloodthirsters from our bloodletters, and generally ask, what's up with this Warhammer stuff? My name is Ben Crone Barber and I know fuck all about Warhammer. With me is my co-host Christopher Crallen Allen. Hi there. Who also knows fuck all about Warhammer. Very true. And my dear brother Darren. Hello. Who knows so much about Warhammer, it's a wonder he has time to do anything else. After gathering online to slay some vermin in the name of Sigmar, this dichotomy between our levels of understanding became clear and this series is an attempt to address that ignorance. Good to see you fellas. Hey guys. Hey, how are y'all? Good. Did you notice the, uh, the little modification that I made to the, uh, the intro there? Yeah, I'm concerned that it might register to our listeners that you might know a little bit more about Warhammer than you're letting on. Possibly. But I will say that the fact that Bone Splitters and Blood Claw Raiders are actually, or Beast Claw Raiders, sorry, can't even say their names, are actually part of Age of Sigmar is not something I discovered myself. <laughs> this was pointed out to me. And and I think really just highlights the fact that I do know fuck all. So you know, I'm quite happy with the, the realization and with uh, you know the subsequent alteration to the intro. So, uh, so yeah, there you go. Every day's a school day. I kind of enjoyed being a little bit superior to you in one aspect of our lives <laughs> oh dear oh humanity <laughs> uh chris yes mate what went down last month mate we had a lovely breakdown of the old world and its cultures and we focused on the core part of the warhammer world the main players such as the empire which are a germanic based human culture a weaving of magic faith weird science and pseudo feudalism fancy that's a lot of words for this time of the morning uh, Britonia, copy and paste. <laughs> I'm literally just reading WhatsApp here. <laughs> Maybe I should give it a call. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Fuck it, yeah, I started to carry just straight on. Off just head, head, mate. Straight off the top of your head, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Does all of his own work, guys. All of his own work. <laughs> Does all of his own reading. <laughs> <laughs> oh, barely. <sighs> anyway. Ha! Ha! <laughs> Get all the giggles. Yeah. Um, and we had Bretonia, which was very much, you know, an alternative take on the legend of Arthur, uh, King Arthur, the Mediterranean style merchants and mercenaries of Tilia and Estilia or Estilia? Tilia. Estilia, isn't it? Tilia, Tilia and Estilia, who are brother and sister, according to the law. Is that right? Which? Tilia and Estilia were, according to ancient history, were like brothers and sisters or related or something like that? Oh, so spectacularly wrong. What a great paraphrase <laughs> of what we covered in amazing detail. <laughs> Christopher Allen, ladies and gentlemen, he knows fuck all. <laughs> Less than fuck all. I'm worse than useless. I mean, you tell me shit and then... Uh, okay, so Tilia and Estilia, nothing to do with families or, or no, brothers and sisters clearly. whatsoever. No, no. <laughs> yep. And then the others, the halfling empire of the Moot. The moot. The, the moot, the and the empires to the west, or the, the the wastelands. There's an empire to the west of the wastelands. What? <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Which map are you looking at? Have you been drawing your own maps again? 
<laughs> the what? The, yeah, the wasteland. Oh, to the dude. it's to the west of the empire, not to the west of the wasteland. Ah, okay, uh, that's the other place. Right, uh, got it. Okay, this empire here is west of itself. How does one be west of itself? Have you ever had Maduri? <laughs> Half a bottle of that and you'll be west of yourself. <laughs> I feel west of myself at the moment. <laughs> Jesus. Um, and we, we touched upon the Dwarven Holds in the World's Edge Mountains. And finally, the bit that I definitely know about, the zombie swamps between Estilia and Tilia, as we all know, who are not brother and sister, <laughs> which is home of the Skaven capital. Skaven Blight. I think that summarised it up pretty well, myself. I mean, we've skirted past the Wood Elves, but okay. Well, it's not in WhatsApp, is it? (laughs) (laughs) It is. (laughs) Look two bubbles down. Lauren Forest, nestled between Britonia and the Empire, (laughs) home of the Wood Elves, is what I said. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, skirting around the Wood Elves is generally a good idea, isn't it? That forest sounded fucked up. You don't want to go in there. No, you absolutely don't. That is true. An arrow through a nostril that will clear your sinuses. (laughs) That will ruin your day. (sighs) Oh, man. I want my money back off this course. I've learned nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, if we were charging, I'd be so much more professional. Before we go on, um, I just want to ask you, do you remember this from a couple of episodes ago? So Skaven and Indiana Jones then have really got something in common. You know, that whole fear of snakes <laughs> tenuous link there yes <laughs> i don't think anyone has ever made that connection and i want to see you with your skaven blood bowl team putting little fedora hats on them <laughs> yeah <laughs> and whips yes whips love it whips and then you've got to use your audio skills to create a rat squeaking version of the indiana jones theme song <laughs> hey challenge accepted oh here it comes oh no you didn't did you so uh, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to present to you the Skaven Choir do Indiana Jones. I call it Vermin Deanna Jones. Oh, mate, Disney are going to be all over your ass for that, man. (laughs) (laughs) It was a well-spent hour, I'll be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Mate, preset 24 on the Casio keyboard with a few garnishings of artificial rodent screaming behind it. Good effort, man. It was good. Thanks, man. It was good. The Skaven Choir are available for for hire, and they do requests. (laughs) They do requests. Do they do bar mitzvahs? They do, yeah. They're available for for all functions, regardless of race. Excellent, excellent. (laughs) That was amazing. We've started strong, guys. We've started really strong. (laughs) I've made an ass hat of myself. Ben's proved his musical prowess. Darren. 
Your turn. <laughs> You're up. You're up, mate. <laughs> I've effectively admitted to not being at all professional about this podcast. So, Dar, uh, we're on part two of our geography lesson. I think we've made it up to the wastelands last episode. So where where are we going now? Where is our journey taking us? Well, hopefully this will be a quick episode because all we need to do is the rest of the world. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you a dealer's choice here. We can either head east into the dark lands and the ogre kingdoms or south down through the kind of orc-riddled badlands into the land of the dead, or west head into Ulthuan and then the home of their dark elf Cain, and then down onto Lustria. So east, south, or west, gents? My guess is that Chris is going to want to go orc side, and as much as I would love to start with... You can uh, read me like a book. <laughs> you really can, Ben. It's the green tinge to your skin. I'd like to go south. I'm really looking forward to hearing about the elves, but I am willing to wait to savour it. So, yeah, let's go orcs. If you're happy with that. Where are they? South, did you say? South, yes. South. So, moving south from the border princes, we come to the Badlands, which outside of the Darklands is the largest concentration of orcs and goblins in Warhammer. It has a geography that's quite hilly. It's got lots of what we would consider to be steps and mountains. And right in the middle of it, you've got something charmingly called the Marshes of Madness. Um Really, it's where the preeminent psychiatrists of the Warhammer world meet. (laughs) (laughs) You really can't swing a dead Skaven for hitting an orc and or goblin. uh, Why would you want to swing a dead Skaven? Come on, because that's that's really the only thing they're good for. (laughs) Come on, enough of this. this. I've had enough of your Skaven bashing. Listen, we're 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 on. We're we're, we've got good terms with the Skaven choir. I don't want to ruin that relationship. All right. Are you going to start wearing a T-shirt that says "Skaven Lives Matter"? Oh, can you not see it? I'm already wearing it. (laughs) Okay, so we're for some reason swinging dead Skaven. Go on. So it is absolutely chock-a-blocker of green skins. They're shoulder-to-shoulder, kissing distance. Kissing distance. That That's a very interesting phrase to use when talking about goblins. Maybe it's the Glasgow <laughs> kissing distance. Clonk. Hey. So you've got all kinds of tribes there. You've got regular uh, goblins, night goblins, uh, forest goblins. Uh, you've then got uh, mostly regular in quotes orc tribes but you do have the savage orc tribes as well which are the orcs that just let themselves be bitten by snakes or just drink their venom they go (gasps) absolutely mental and enter battle in a full red or green blooded frenzy that's so awesome these guys love ass spiders don't they these are the ass spider guys. And if they haven't tried ass spiders, they really need to jump on board that bandwagon. <laughs> Literally, butt first. Awesome. <laughs> Just hardlining straight through the butt. <laughs> Nine out of ten Kralins approve. <laughs> it's amazing! <laughs> <laughs> 
But the orcs really do have some of the best names for their tribes. You've got, like, in terms of goblins, you've got the Scabby Eyes tribe, the Teeth Snatchers tribe. For the orcs, then, you've got the Bloody Hand tribe, the Broken Tooth tribe, which I think might be at war with the Teeth Snatchers tribe. I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> um, and then you've got down towards the south, where it borders the Land of the Dead, you've got the kind of Savage Orcs, and you're looking at things like the Top Knots tribe, or the Bone Noses tribe. And I'm guessing it's very Ron Seal. These tribes are exactly what they say on the tin. Like, Yeah, the Top Knot tribe is just a bunch of hipsters, isn't it? Exactly. Drinking deconstructed coffees for £5.50 a cup. I think I've seen quite a few of them around Shoreditch in London. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're thinking of the man-bun mercenaries that you can hire out of uh, Lucini, which is what man was founded <laughs> by a pair of twins, Chris. Uh, a pair of twins? There's the confusion. A pair of twins, so there were four of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, yeah. A set of twins, not a pair of twins. Okay, yeah, okay cool. <laughs> nice diversion, Chris. Like you dodge that shit like the Matrix, mate. <laughs> oh, mate, I am slippery. <laughs> um, and the the missing tooth goblins and the shattered teeth orcs or something <laughs> reminds me of that scene from A Life of Brian. We're the people's front of Judea. We're the Judean's people's front. Really, the Badlands is where a lot of the fallout from some of the greatest events in, in Warhammer history have happened. The Marshes of Madness, which are in the kind of center of the Badlands, that used to be the great vampire kingdom of uh, Morcane, led by a vampire called Usharan, who came out of the Kingdom of the Dead, Nehekara, deep down south from where they are now. And to the east of the Badlands, nestled in the, the middle of the, the World's Edge Mountains, is a giant inlet called the Sour Sea. And on the coast of that Sour Sea is the great warpstone repository of Cripple Peak, where an enormous warpstone meteorite crashed down into a mountain, cleft it in twain, I love that phrase, and kind of nestled there. But that's where Nagash ended up building his great fortress. The thing I would say about the Badlands is it's a land of monsters, uh, of every kind of monster you can imagine populating the Warhammer world. At least one of them is in the Badlands. There's lots of... Uh, Lobster claw six-titted demons? Uh, I know of at least three. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I mean, there's tribes in quotes of giants. You've got wyverns, dragons, wyverns, even, um, trolls, ogres. You name it, it's there. You don't want any part of it. But it's also really good it's there because on the southern border of the Badlands are these enormous idols that mark the end of the land that the orcs consider to be safe. Because mm. after that, you get into the land of the dead, which is... The it is interesting thing. that none of us are big fans of any of the kind of... The what, empire. What are viewed as the, the standard kind of good races. Um, we all seem to be fans of the darker ones. If it wasn't the orcs, it would be the dwarves for me. 
The dwarves are cool. It's a, it's a close second by the dwarves. Yeah. yeah and, if, and if it wasn't the Skaven, it would be the elves for me. What, what about you, Dara? What would be the equivalent? Who's your number two? Who's your silver medal? If it wasn't for the undead and all their flavors, it would be chaos. That's quite broad. <laughs> You're leaving yourself quite open there, really. Yeah. Any particular? <laughs> oh, no, we've already done the brand of chaos, haven't we? No, I think I'd said previously that when I was younger, it was definitely Slanesh, the god of sexy times. Uh, but right. now yes. now it's more a mix of Zinch and Nurgle, of manipulation mm. and decay. And as a parent, I can, I can relate to that quite profoundly. <laughs> <laughs> Do the orcs deem the land of the undead unsafe? They're, they're scared. They're fearful of the land of the undead then. It's the land of the dead, not the undead. The land of the dead. <laughs> Attaboy. Um, I, I think <laughs> they would become anxious. I think that's the most I've okay. ever read in any book, that an orc was actually anxious of something. That It, it seemed yeah. unnatural. They enjoy a good fight, uh, and a good fight to them is someone who sort of looks like them anatomically, uh, with lots of muscles, and you know, the bigger the better. When you're dealing and with screaming pain when you whack them as well. Yeah. So when you're dealing yeah. with an entire legion of undead that march quietly towards you and don't scream when you hit them, I suspect that would be unnerving to an orc. Yeah. I'm unnerved, so I don't blame them. Yeah. We arrive then in what is now the land of the dead what used to be the greatest human empire, probably in the whole of Warhammer history, which is the great kingdom of Nehekara, which there's no equivocation. It's Egypt. It's effectively Egypt, or used to be. The events we mentioned a moment ago with the fall of Nagash, what Nagash was doing, he was the son of the ultimate pharaonic king of Nehekara, and revolted against the city-states that existed at that time. They overthrew him, and he fled to the Nagashazar, which is the, his great fortress on the edge of the Sour Sea. And from there, he decided, well, you know what? Fuck you guys in the ear. I'm going to rule over a kingdom of the dead. So, using the warp stone that he harvested from Cripple Peak... He created this great work, this great spell. And what that did is it transformed every living thing in the entire kingdom of Nekara into a land of the dead. Everything died and then rose again. Jesus. Wow. The moment that Alcadazar attacked, he was about to finish the spell, which would have bound everything that was undead to his will. But what happened is he died just before he said that. So the dead still exist and still walk. But mindless. Well, most of them are mindless, yes. But the, the leaders, the kings and the priests of old Nehekara as was, transformed into the tomb kings, into the kind of great undead legions, modelled very much mm. on ancient Egyptian military. So you've got okay. uh, despotic tomb kings who were the great pharaonic leaders of the city-states of old Nehekara and you've got the uh, lich priests who were the, the high priests of the various animal-headed god cults but also in charge of the kind of mummification rituals that kind of thing so if you can imagine the land today looks very much like a desert with somewhat ruined 
cities based on the kind of old Egyptian architecture, but everything is covered in skulls, either carved or actual skulls from living beings. Wow. Gross. Yeah. Gross. And um, was, that, was that decor of skulls and bones, was that like an aftermarket thing after everyone dying? Go, let's grim this place up with some skulls <laughs> and bones. Or did it just kind of evolve slowly? I, I can't see the dead having, you know, a very uh, proactive mind in that sense. You know what I mean? With that kind of thing in place. They or was, just- that, was that more the, the leaders? I think it was more an effect of the great spell. I think what happened is it not only caused everything that was living to die, but it turned representations of everything that was living to the dead form of it. Okay. All right. Wow. The place is just beset with these once great cities that have now Mm. just turned into necropolis or necropoli. So you've got at the very north of the land of the edge, you've got Numas, which was the Scarab city. You've got the amusingly named Qatar, which is a, a real country in our world, which is the palace of corpses. You go through the kind of the tail end of the World's Edge Mountains, through the what's called the Charnel Valley. You get to Marak, which is the city of decay, and then up at the the kind of mouth of the Sour Sea, which is called the Straits of Nagash. You've got Lamia, which is called the Cursed City, and that's where the vampires were created. Mm, okay. Remind us then, they, the vampires, they live up in, where is it? Is it Bretonia? There's a little... Oh, in uh, Sylvania. Yes, one of the six types of vampire live up in that city. Okay, where are the rest at? They're dotted all over and one has been wiped out. So when Nagash fell, the queen of Lamia, Neferata, managed to... St- capture the books of Nagash, the nine books of Nagash, and through analyzing the text was able to come up with an elixir of life, a potion that over time turned her and her close compatriots into vampires. Uh, And ultimately they had to flee and dispersed all over the world. But yeah, that's where vampires come from. Wow. So they had to keep drinking this elixir until it turned them. So what did it do? Because vampires are dead, aren't they? They're undead. So it had yes. to they slowly killed them and then brought them back to life again. How, how does that work? Uh, I think what Also, happened- elixir of life, bit of a misleading title. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> I think it refers to the life that you took to be able to make the elixir. Yeah, I'm pretty certain I could name that better. Maybe they just couldn't fit it on the vial, though. It's yeah. Just vial. Elixir of life, not. But they just couldn't fit the knot on it. Disclaimer, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> not actually elixir of life. <laughs> I think they really didn't read the terms and conditions on Nagash's book. <laughs> because they were scattered around, though, weren't they? Yeah. That's the thing. His shit just got scattered all over the place. What a mess. <laughs> yeah, it, it's interesting that once Nagash had been chopped up into effectively bone dust, that bone dust magically floated through the air very slowly and over centuries came back into the land of the dead into the enormous black pyramid of Nagash, where his body was reformed over hundreds of years and he once again returned to plague the Warhammer world. And he's done that a few times now. No. Sneaky bastard. So you can't really get rid of Nagash. I mean, the only thing he's got going against him 
is that every large scale thing he's attempted has always gone wrong. <laughs> he's a little bit the Doctor Evil of Warhammer World. <laughs> if, if it wasn't for these pesky kids, <laughs> almost pity the guy. You know what I mean, yeah, so much yeah. potential. He just like slips at the last minute. Well, he's always defeated by a great human hero. There's never been a time where, at some crucial juncture, a human hasn't come up and just you know stabbed him. Well, then his agenda is clear. He's just got to get rid of the human race, right? And they keep calling me Ganache. <laughs> and what's worse? Why did they call me by my real name? <laughs> Barry the Necromancer. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Jemima, the Minor Mine Miner, patron saint of laying down the law and all other Warhammer podcasts, whether they're aware of it or not. When I'm not down a mine or pretending to be down a mine, I like to drop in on my followers and lend a hand where I can. I just wanted to thank you for supporting the guys with your listens. They may sound like a bunch of complete melons, but the work they're doing is actually pretty important. Like gods, we saints rely on the activities of humans to ensure our continued existence. If it weren't for the likes of these dingleberries, I'd be out of a job. And other than singing in a minor key, I'm not entirely certain what other lines of work are available for an underage mime artist with a serious penchant for mining. So for fuck's sake, keep listening. Catch you later, guys. So as the Land of the Dead had a boundary of orc-made idols on its northern borders, on its southern and western borders, there are also great statues denoting the boundary of the kingdom. And to cross any of those uh, boundaries is to give yourself a good old 66% chance of uh, being dead. Wow. Shit odds, really. As in... Is luck of the draw, or is it like there are enemies there that are going to cut you down? Or is it literally like you cross the threshold, it's like you more than likely will die? Oh yes, I think it's more than likely if you cross the threshold, there will be regiments of undead spearmen or skeleton spearmen, skeleton archers. You've got these enormous bone giants, which are effectively the bones of giants animated. And you've got tomb scorpions, which are these great machines built of stone and bone that hide under awesome. the sands and leap out and will impale you with their stingers. And you've got all these m- massive forces and yet your success rate is still 33%. Are you saying they miss one out of every three shot? <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, the country is vast, so um, maybe... Yeah, the- yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you can slip through, yeah. I mean, a lot mm. of the exploration, I think, has come in through the Great Mortis River, which is effectively the River Nile. So you can get right into mm. the heart of the country without ever setting foot on land or on sand. Okay. Uh, and uh, the undead don't do water. They're like the, like the Tasmanian devil. Don't swing that way, bro. <laughs> Not getting wet for nobody. <laughs> You've hit on a, a good point there because in the Warhammer community, the Tomb Kings are known as the Dry Dead and the vampires and the zombies of Sylvania are known as the Wet Dead. Ah, that makes sense. So do the Dry Dead, do they not like water at all? Is water their No, they, they're just bone. They're just super, super dry. Yeah, they're just bone. Yeah, okay. There's no flesh yeah, yeah, on them okay, at all. Okay. These idols... 
that are set up along the the borders of the land yes. of the dead. And you're saying like, don't go in there because you probably get a spear up your ass or or an undead scorpion underground thing impaling you in the face. What about the other way around? Are those borders guarded by the races that live on them on the other side? So, you know, between the Badlands and the Land of the Dead, are the orcs and goblins monitoring that border to be like, you know, shit, they're coming this way, let's attack them? Or do the guys in the Land of the Dead, the undead, do they just stay in the Land of the Dead? Do they occasionally, you know, branch out? Um, In general, the denizens of the Land of the Dead remain within the Land of the Dead they're tied to that land that does not mean there have not been um incursions incursions into other kingdoms and indeed they have a navy as well so there was a couple of instances of where setra brought his legions aboard ships and invaded the old world uh, a couple of times cool the orcs again even though the orcs get anxiety from the the undead of that region the markers they've put there really it's for them i don't think they would monitor it at all and if it turns up they'll have a fight but they won't really feel good about the fight <laughs> it's a hollow victory <laughs> yeah it's a hollow victory i mean it's a hollow enemy well, yeah exactly the undead are no pushover but it would be really like for some of the larger orc tribes it would be like you or me punching a kid yeah <laughs> satisfying Uh, but you don't want anyone to know you did it (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) but that's the north to the west you've got the human kingdom of araby and i think that that border is monitored more closely although given the the huge distances involved over enormous deserts there's not really that much they can do about it other than warn the cities that are on the case i love that name Araby. What's the definition of Araby? A little bit Arab. Yeah, it's an incredibly uh, colonial view of that part of the world. (laughs) Um, They're just a bit Araby. Yes, yeah. Stop being so Araby. So as alluded to in a previous episode, this is very much a a Thousand and One Nights version of the Arabian Peninsula tacked onto the Land of the Dead. It's very much the nomadic Tuareg tribes. You've got caliphs and sultans, very much the kind of Aladdin-esque idea of what that part of the world looked like at that time. But you have that mixed in with the kind of forces of Salahuddin from our own world. So very much that religious warfare tacked on, Mm. but not as much Mm. in Warhammer. There's really not that much to say about the the nation of Araby, other than it's been the site of a few crusades by the great Bretonian uh, knights that have been joined by knights from Tilia and Estilia and some from the empire. Really, it's a trading nation. It's a kind of powerhouse that trades artifacts that they're able to snatch out of the land of the dead plus things that they make themselves by trading with other groups up and down the coast of the southern continent of Warhammer. So is this one of the countries that they haven't, sorry, one of the kingdoms that they haven't really, it is a country, isn't it? It is a country, yeah. Yeah. This is one of the ones that Games Workshop haven't really developed. Yeah, they have developed it a little bit and you used to be able to get a couple of units, I think a couple, maybe one that was included in the kind of mercenary dogs of war army lists. So you could hire riders or scouts from Araby. But really, it has the problem that some elements of Warhammer have, where it was written down in the 80s. And while perhaps 
valid in the fantasy setting and even though I disagree with some of the characterizations, I don't think it should be edited. I think it should be remained as is. Yes, as I said, it's a colonial view of that part of the world. So further development in that area could potentially offend some? Is that the is that the concern? No, I think anyone who gets offended at a fantasy setting needs to sit down and have a cup of coffee. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I don't believe there's, yeah. there's anything egregious in it. And even if there were, it's make-believe. But I think, yep. I think that a development of it would be interesting. I'd love to see how Games Workshop would handle it now. Hmm. Cool. Amazing. So that was the kingdom to the west of the Land of the Dead. Then if we look at the kingdom to the south of the land of the dead which is encouragingly called the southlands what you're really looking at here is an africanized version of lustria of south america so it's thick jungles you've got the kind of mesoamerican stepped pyramid temple cities and at the very bottom you've got high elven fortresses it's not really an area that's been explored or detailed outside of the lizard men army books so there's several of the kind of step pyramid city complexes there. And the most famous, I think, being Zlatlan in the Southlands. But it's, you know, wrapped up in what's called the jungle of the gods. So when you say like stepped pyramids, do you mean Aztec sort of style step Exactly pyramids? right. Yeah, the Mesoamerican right. kind of style of step pyramids. So that's the Southern American aspect of it. What's the, you said it's kind of like a bit of a merge of African. No. So the region of land that would be analogous to Africa in our world. Oh, I see. Has been gotcha. uh, overwritten by an extension of the lizard men forces from Lustria, which if you recall, is this Aztec, Mayan, uh, gotcha. Inca style right. culture. And that's a really good thing they expanded there because it's, I don't know if we want to talk about it. Do you remember the picture of the, the, the pygmy miniatures I sent? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's where the pygmies lived. And I think we should just draw a veil uh. because that's perhaps the least acceptable set of miniatures ever released. Yeah, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah of course. Yeah. So, moving <laughs> swiftly on. So that's everything to the south. You've got, I mean, dotted islands around there, usually populated by high elves. Uh, so you've got the Fortress of the Dawn right down at the, um, it's not only at the bottom of the uh, southern continent, but it's actually on top of the northerly most point of what we would consider Antarctica, which is where they have their southern polar gate, where there's a realm of chaos entrance. Okay, yeah, yeah. So what are the high elves doing down there? The High Elves have kind of circumnavigated the globe and every time they come to a significant pass or a significant chain of islands, they'll build an encampment there, which over time will turn into a tower and then into a, a city or fortress. And from there, they can kind of project their influence over the surrounding countryside. Yeah. Right, okay. So you've got the polar gates of the southern and northern wastes. Is there one of them that's worse than the other? Like, is it is it more <coughs> chaosy? In the south the, and it is in the north, or vice versa. They've only really don't get penguins at the north polar gate, and you don't get polar bears at the south polar gate. I think is the rule. <laughs> Chaos penguins. Chaos penguins. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Wah! <laughs> 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 
in Warhammer, they've only ever really detailed the northern Chaos Gate because if you can imagine, the core of the setting is the old world, and that's a lot nearer the north than it is the south. So they've really mm. not developed any kind of information on the southerly Chaos Gate other than the fact that it exists. Do you get to different realms of chaos, whether you go through the north or south? Are they just two doorways to the same realm? Uh, yeah, two doorways to the same realm is a good way of looking at it. I think that each god has their own kind of section of the chaos realm, but all four added up don't equate to 100% of the chaos realm. So okay. there's lots of sub-realms and kind of petty dictatorships, that kind of idea. Queethel, if we recall the demon prince Queethel, originally a Skaven man, he has his own yep. little chaos realm. Yeah. Garrett. Oh, yeah, I knew that. No, did I know that? Did you already tell us that? So, what, different from the normal Chaos Realm? Different from like Korn's Empire or Slanesh's Empire. So, he has his own little section of the Chaos Realm. Chaos Hamlet. Yeah, where he just he sits with his hunched over in his throne with his great wings covering him and he's holding this really uh, aggressive looking sword excellent is he a figure Uh, no I don't think he's ever been made a figure but you could take one of the vermin lords which are these enormous skaven demons Mm. I think you could convert him into a quethel quite easily Uh, are you suggesting that I try that uh, I think it's going to end up with you buying the bits and sending them to me. <laughs> <laughs> yup. <laughs> east of the Empire and east of the Badlands is the Great Darklands, which is just an industrialized, blasted plain of ash and dust and scourged earth, constantly buffeted by winds and storms. It's primarily known for being the home of enormous orc and goblin tribes the only reason they haven't taken over the world is that the access they have to the old world is through heavily defended passes in the world's edge mountains staffed or dwarfed exclusively by dwarfs (laughs) so the dwarves are literally keeping in the same way that the orcs are keeping the old worlds safe from the ravages of the the undead the dwarves are doing the same thing with the orcs yes but the dwarves are doing it consciously where the orcs don't really understand the benefits of having them there gotcha yeah that is that is clever uh, so it, it's got enormous orc fortresses running up and down the darkland side of the world's edge mountains and is it just constant skirmish down down that length Oh, I I would go so far as to say it's constant warfare between the orc tribes on the surface against the dwarfs and the Skaven war clans underneath the mountains trying to dig their way up into the dwarven holes to effectively devour them whole. So it's the dwarfs versus the orcs and the Skaven? Yeah, dwarves versus greenskin and Skaven. Are the Skaven attacking the orcs then? Skaven are attacking everyone. Everyone, okay. Um, So you've not only got the Skaven attacking up from their own under-empire, but you've also got the the night goblin tribes who are these subterranean troglodytic goblins that drive these weird creatures called squigs ahead of them. Now, a squig looks like a row of teeth, two legs, and an arsehole with a tail, uh, and that just (laughs) eats 
all it does is eat, and it's a mushroom-based life form that hops along. All right, Chris. (laughs) Hmm? Sounds familiar. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're a row of teeth and an asshole, and you love to eat. (laughs) And these squigs, do they just do they make the holes and carve through the earth and rock through which the Skaven and Goblin come through? Or, or are they just nom nom nom? Not they're not into rocks and earth. No, I, I don't believe they're into rocks and stuff. But some of them are enormous. Some of mm. them are larger than a house. So you know, could okay. do. I've not read where they they have done, but they could do. Okay, yeah, just trying to paint a picture of how these guys might you know engage and stuff and and, and tunnel through. So do they have? I mean, the Skaven are known for tunneling through stuff. As of the dwarves, do the Skaven. How do they do it? Is it manual labor, or do they have like big machines that can? blast through that shit it's sheer volume of numbers right I see. most of the skaven under, under empire is chiseled out rock by rock by skaven slaves which are the lesser class of yeah. the skaven race they do have mining equipment produced by clan skyr which is the kind of mad scientists of the skaven race so you've got kind of warpstone drills that just liquefy mm. rocks in front of them um i i think they're used more when on on attack than just kind of general sure. expansion because they, they need to get somewhere quick to get the the hordes yeah, up and shock running. and awe yeah absolutely yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so that's really oh. the world's edge mountain is it's constant warfare between various races on the dark lands proper it's such an enormous area that the whole of the old world could fit inside it and it's just covered in kind of nomadic war bands of orcs and goblins some skaven you've got crookback mountain which is this enormous kind of wonky mountain in the southwest and that's a huge concentration of skaven there from where they strike out at the kind of local enemies but the the most unusual denizens of the darklands are the Chaos Dwarfs, who live on the factory-covered plain of Tsar. And with, uh, I think I'd mentioned previously, they have been reinvented from just being kind of evil mutant dwarfs to being these comically large hat-wearing evil Babylonian dwarfs. Wow. They have a real dark empire. It's purely focused on the construction of equipment and weapons uh, and armor for the races but they they don't just dabble in kind of industry they also dabble in kind of mild eugenics so they decided they needed stronger laborers because what they do is they enslave huge orc and goblin tribes hobgoblin tribes which live next to them in the mountains of morn but they decided they need a stronger slave so they were the race that created black orcs which are the Iron Jaws in Age of Sigmar, Chris, so you'll be familiar with them there. These enormous hulking orc warriors. And regrettably, they made them too strong, so eventually they revolted. So what is a black orc? Is that like a chaos orc? Uh, No. If you think of it as, uh, you've watched Lord of the Rings, so it's a difference between an ordinary orc and an urukai. Ah, okay. So that's really the kind of seed that the ideas for these guys came from so it's regular right. warhammer orc and then super powered super strong black orcs and you say that the the chaos dwarfs were responsible for creating them yes they they bred them yeah we're using eugenics 
uh, using eugenics and the dark magic and the power of their priesthood, the demon smiths that uh, worship their god Hashat, which uh, we mentioned previously. Oh, yeah. So ju- just a, a quick question, two quick questions. Um, you said the old, old world, and I know we spoke a lot about that, but just to clarify, the old world is essentially the Empire, Bretonia, Tilia, Estilia, Laser, Blazer, Phaser, and yeah. Kislev. <laughs> And Kislev and the border princes down at the bottom. And that all can fit within the Darklands. That's, quite that's easily, size. yeah. Quite yeah, easily, yeah. okay. And the other question then was um, hobgoblins. You mentioned hobgoblins. What's the difference yeah. between a goblin and a hobgoblin? Is one of them kind of nutty and covered in chocolate? <laughs> and don't fall in your cup of tea after you've dunked it three times. Yeah, and drinks half your fucking brew. For anyone who's listening that isn't... Uh, a resident in the UK, you should fall to your knees and weep on the understanding that you'll never know the joy of tasting a, a chocolate hobnob. It is the most absorbent biscuit. You dip that in your tea and half your brew is, just disappears. It's robust as well. But then the upside is you have a biscuit full of half a cup of tea. The, the ultimate upside is, is if you use enough of them, you end up drinking granola. <laughs> Porridge. Porridge. <laughs> So anyway, what is what, what is the difference between a hobgoblin? Yeah, so ho- effectively a hobgoblin, they're their own distinct race, but they're effectively a halfway point between a goblin and an orc. If you beefed up a goblin a little and stretched them up to the size of an orc, that's a hobgoblin. Uh, and hobgoblins, uh, a skinny are, orc or yeah. a chunky goblin? Well, I think that's that will be the eternal question right up there with uh, Vikings or yeah. pirates. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely not clowns. No. clowns can get one so the darklands is such an enormous place that it's got sublands within it little kind of areas that are the size of britonia Uh, so you've got the howling wastes to the east you've got the plain of bones uh, in which is the ruins of vorag uh, the fortress of vorag who was this vampire count that escaped from nagash's control Hmm. Uh, you've got the wolflands Guess what? Guess what they have? Badgers, bunnies, all riding wolves. Oh my god! A wolf riding badger. That sounds terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the most important things to keep in mind about the Darklands is it's constantly being traversed by human trade caravans. That is trade caravans staffed by humans, and it's trade between Cathay and Ind, which are these regions that have yet to be really properly defined and the old world and Araby. So you've, it's you've const- like the old spice road. Yeah, exactly right. Old. The old silk roads, yeah. the spice roads. Exactly. That's it. And those roads pass through the next region we're looking at, which are the mountains of Morn. And those are the ogre kingdoms where mm. the, the revamped ogres, which are now based on the kind of Mongol hordes of our own world, live in the mountains of Morn, yeah. Which are, in fact, wow. where giants originally came from. The sky giants lived in the mountains of Morn with these great enormous cities carved out of mountains. So would it be fair to parallel the mountains of Morn like Russia, north and eastern Russia? Mm, I think a, a more mountainous Mongolia. Okay, so just on the west northwestern area of china kind of thing going into the kazakhstan's the uzbekistan's the mongolia exactly right yeah the, i mean yeah. the the next yeah. kingdoms east of 
the ogre kingdoms, really are Ind and Cathay. So it's India and China, yeah. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Size-wise, how big is a, an ogre compared to a giant? Uh, an ogre is about 10 feet tall. A giant is at least 25 to 30 feet tall. Wow. Okay. So quite a big difference then. If the giants originated from the mountains of Mo- mountains of Morn with an N or Morn? Morn, yeah. Morn. Um, are the ogres descendants? No. Uh, I believe they're a separate race. Uh, and quite amusingly, one of the myths is they were created as a kind of twinned race, the other twin being the halflings. So the ogres will eat anything, anything at all. Rocks, lava, mountains, <laughs> uh, people, other things that are not well, people. The goats of Warhammer. The goats of Warhammer. Wow. But halflings love to cook. So there was a theory that the halfling race was created to constantly feed the ogres larger and larger dishes. Clever. Wow. Yet it seems a bit of a futile exercise when you could just feed them anything at all anyway. Absolutely. <laughs> just show them a bloody hill and be like, eat that. Why do you need me to cook a nice rack of lamb when you're going to eat that? I'm like, oh, hill. I'm full. I've just eaten that mountain. <laughs> oh, this food is getting me hungry. <laughs> you shouldn't have bothered. <laughs> <laughs> so the ogres really don't travel too much outside of the uh, ogre kingdoms. There have been a few ogre hordes uh, with a D that have um, <laughs> kind of <laughs> fought their way across the world. Uh, really, the most interaction comes from these trade caravans paying off the various tribes as they travel through their lands. And these tribes uh, consist largely of ogre bulls, which is the name given to a, a kind of adult ogre. But also they have iron guts, which are these great uh, armor-clad warriors. They've got Mornfang cavalry, which are these enormous kind of crosses between a highland cow and a bear. With a bit of cat, maybe. <laughs> that ogres ride through the mountains. Oh, Jeff. <laughs> We've missed you. <laughs> but they've also then got the larger beasts and monsters that people will see. The stone horns and so forth. Uh, and the largest tribe of ogres is run by Greasus Goldtooth, who is so morbidly obese from all the eating and all the tributes that are paid to him, that he has to be carried around constantly by effectively a whole tribe of these tiny little greenskins called Noblars. <laughs> Sounds like uh, Jabba the Hutt. Yeah, Loblars. Yeah, if you think of Jabba the Hutt with a jaunty crown. Okay. Yeah. So it sounds like the lawyer out of Arrested Development, Rob Loblaw. Blah, blah, blah. Rob, blah, blah. <laughs> Do you suffer from frequent disappearance of the spinal cord? Do your hands and feet occasionally swap places? And is there annoying pain in your anal cavity, like small poisonous spiders have been feeding on it? If so, they probably have and you're likely suffering from S-Spider Syndrome, or S for short. This is the result of long-term S-Spider abuse. Side effects can include inverted kneecaps, whispering teeth, and cranial fecal excretions, also known as anus ear. If these sound familiar, fret not. Help is at hand. Introducing Arachnicate. 
Rechnikid uses a special formula produced by, believe it or not, milking spiders. This silky milk not only soothes anal cavities, heals cracks and stops bleeding, but it also reduces the number of multicolored unicorns in your peripheral vision to the normal amount. So if you're tired of backwards nipples, colon rash, bipolar bladder, and rapid disintegration of the space between your toes, ask your doctor today about Erecticate and start taking back control. Evacuate, eradicate, eradicate. All rights reserved, terms and conditions apply, may cause bloated bones, boring thoughts, head bunions, itchy kidneys, toenail pneumonia, and aggressive localized obesity. So really, again, again. Uh, as we mentioned with the, the World's Edge Mountains, the Mountains of Mourne, there's a lot of skirmishes going on, but it's underneath the mountains that's where the real interesting stuff happens because you have what I consider to be exiled ogres that have been kicked out of their tribes, thrown down mountain passes, and left to starve, left to fend for themselves. And these are the ogre gorgers. It's a horrific concept for a monster. It was just an insane ogre that's hungry all the time and will eat anything, won't stop to really have a discussion and is really only impressed by something that can knock it on its ass. Well, can I ask how an ogre would have been exiled from its own tribe? Uh, Sodomy. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Cool. (laughs) That'll do it. That'll do it. That will do it. (laughs) Each... um, each ogre tribe is led by a tyrant. That That's the actual name of them. And they're also tyrants. <laughs> and they'll set up their own kind of uh, system of mores and manners. So if you... And etiquettes. Yeah, if you cross that or if you challenge a tyrant and fail, you'll be left alive and thrown down to either be eaten by other gorgers or to become a gorger yourself. Shit. Wow. That's upsetting. That's a pretty bum deal, isn't it, on all rounds? Yeah, so the the, rule, the rules on exile really are, are, are taken on a tribe-by-tribe basis. Yeah, fair enough. And that's really it for the kind of defined world heading east. I mean, we do have the nation of Ind, the hinterlands of Kush. We have Cathay, which I think we mentioned either last podcast or the podcast before, that Games Workshop was now starting to develop that so that they can bring it into Total War Warhammer, the computer game. But that as yet, there's no information on that at this time. And also then you've got the Island Kingdom of Nippon. But that's really it in terms of definition. The Mountains of Morn and the Ogre Kingdoms, that's where the kind of known world ends. So after that is Here Be Dragons. Here Be Dragons. To be continued. Okay. So we return to the old world again as our kind of central point, and we head west. And the first thing we bump into is the circular nation of Ulthuin, the original home of the elven race and the now home of the high elves. Ulthuin looks like a big giant donut kingdom. Huh. Yummy. Mm, donut. <laughs> In the middle of which is the Isle of the Dead. And that's where, if you recall from our first episode, that's where the vortex is based, draining the chaos out of the Warhammer world through the mm. Isle of the Dead. I have been playing 
Total War Warhammer 2. Oh, fantastic. Vortex, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, well, at least the starting region that you start the game on, you kick the game off from, is in this donut kind of aisle, and then you've got this maelstrom type thing in the middle yeah sucking the life out of something and you some quest to kind of shut that down or something like that i don't know yeah but i recognize the circular <laughs> nation of- it's not like you to not pay attention chris <laughs> what who are you <laughs> <laughs> so the island kingdom of ulthuin it's really split into two parts the outer kingdom and the inner kingdom and dividing that, running entirely around the island, is the Anuli Mountains, which are these uh, effectively impassable mountain ranges, except for five or six gates through which elves trade and travel and shift forces around. So the outer kingdoms are protected by these shifting isles, which, guess what they do? They stay completely still. <laughs> <laughs> The whole island is surrounded by, you know, a magical mist to protect it from invasion. It's got islands that seem to move and will crush ships, but also it's got kind of dangerous waterways, uh, sharp coral patches, that kind of thing. Jaggy bits. And so, as one would imagine, the side facing the old world has the majority of this protection because you've got invasions from Norska, you've got traders and pirates coming in from the old world, you've got forces of greenskins, the most famous invasion being led by the amazingly named Grom the Paunch. <laughs> who invaded and decimated one of the kingdoms uh, in Ulthuin. Wow. On the side facing away from the old world, on the side facing Nagroth and uh, Lustria, you have really the kind of darker nature of elves uh, on display. It's a war-torn side of Ulthuin, mostly because it's under constant attack by the Dark Elves, trying to right. get to the Shrine of Cain, which is on an island in the north of Ulthuin called the Blighted Isle, upon which sits the Plain of Bones. And on that plain, you have the spirits of uh, High Elf and uh, Dark Elf constantly warring. So you walk through the ghosts of every war they've pretty much ever fought. And and as I say, in the middle of that is the Shrine of Cain, upon which sits the Sword of Cain, the one that Anarion pulled to be able to save the elven race and damned his entire line with that curse. And what do the Dark Elves want with it? The Dark Elves want to wipe out the High Elves. They want to conquer Ulthuin. Really, they think that their king, Malekith, is the rightful king of all elves and right. because they were repelled and their entire section Nagarithi was destroyed by an alliance of high elf nations they fled to a place that they built their own kingdom the the kingdom of the dark elves nagroth which really if you think about where it is and what it looks like is evil canada <laughs> evil canada that is <laughs> no such thing yeah that is just incredibly <laughs> difficult to picture incredibly difficult here high elves a boot, <laughs> a boot. no Stuff a boat like that. it's a boot a boot <laughs> so the outside of the the, the outer ring of ulthuin looks like a very picturesque but starkly so 
uh, a lot of barren plains from the side facing Nagroth. But then on the side facing the Old World, you've got the, say for instance, the Kingdom of Kathik, and that has huge plains, lots of arable land, very beautiful looking, very kind of epic. Very luscious. Yeah, the whole thing mm. is epic in the terms of, you know, the standard fantasy tropes of elves. Mm. Mm. Got it. Right. So on the inner ring, the inner kingdoms surrounding the Isle of the Dead, which sits in the middle of the inner sea, you've got these almost heavenly kingdoms that capture all the, the best aspects of the High Elves. So you've got uh, Avalorn, which are uh, the High Elves version of Wood Elves live there, but that's where the Ever Queen lives. And she is the kind of ceremonial spouse of the Phoenix King, who lives in the city of Lothurn, which is at the mouth of the entrance from the outer kingdoms to the inner kingdoms. It's on the south of those donut isles, yes, isn't it? Yes, absolutely, at the very bottom. Yeah. But also, is in, the capital, it, is, it is also the capital, yeah. Lothurn right. is the capital. Within the inner sea, you also then have the two really important kingdoms, one being Safri, which is where all the high elf mages train and it's where they've got this enormous tower, the Tower of Winds, the White Tower, and that's where the sword masters train, which are these elves that use two-handed swords that they wield like they weigh nothing. Ah, oh, I think I've seen those miniatures. Yeah, they're the protectors of all high elf mages. Just on the other side of Lothurn, then you've got Kalidor, which is where the dragon princes live. So you've got all these slumbering dragons in enormous caves. So really, the, the great power of the elves in times past were these flights of dragons that could come out of Kalidor that would, you know, blacken the sun as they attack ships that are raiding them. What kind of numbers are we talking about? Like how many dragons? Ten. 12 dragons. No, there'll be, there'll be hundreds of dragons still left. There used to be thousands. So we mentioned Lothurn as the capital of Ulthuin. That's at the very southerly point of the continent. And here is the only place where outsiders are really welcome, where foreigners are really welcome. But it's being welcomed by high elves is really like being condescended to by anyone else. So... <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a bitter pill. As a point, I should say that the outer kingdoms are visited by other races quite frequently, most in an unfriendly fashion, but the inner kingdoms have never been set foot on by anyone who wasn't an elf. Right. So, wow, they're quite self-righteous, aren't they, and pompous. Oh, they're yeah. quite protected, aren't they, like geographically? Yes, very much so. The Anuli Mountains, because of the vortex, the mountains are constantly awash with the winds of magic. So unless you're traveling through these protected gates and uh, pathways, you're going to be attacked by huge monsters warped by chaos. So what, are you saying that the, the vortex, because it's in the center of the island, is actually drawing all of that in towards it? Yes. So, the, so these lands are awash with a lot of chaos energy? The mountains are, yes. Mountains are, right. I think there may occasionally be a bit of a, a wind of magic based problem on some of the kingdoms, but it's not really noted anywhere. Right, okay. So in Lothurn, you access the capital through three enormous gates. 
And the first gate is known as the Emerald Gate, and that is a set of gates made of bronze set with huge emeralds. And once through there, that's really where the foreign trade happens. That's where other kingdoms deal with the High Elves. That's the marketplace of Lothan. That's where yes, exactly. the wheeler dealing, yeah, the, the boot sales, yeah. So then you go through another set of gates called the Sapphire Gates, and these are huge gates made of silver set with sapphires. And through there, it's really by invitation only if you're not an elf. And, and in fact, even if you are an elf and not a resident of either Lothurn or Ulthuin in general. And so in there, that's really Lothurn proper. And in this enormous bay at anchor are huge high elf trade ships, merchant ships. You've got the war fleet of Lothurn is anchored there. And that's where, as a foreigner, if you were invited in, you would see the true glory of the high elves writ large. Is there any imagery of that? Uh, I'll try and dig some out. Yeah, I think so. I'll try and dig some out. Um, The final set of gates are the ruby gates. And these are gates made of solid gold with enormous rubies on them. And through there, you then get into the inner sea and the inner kingdoms of Ulthuin. And no foreigner has ever made it past there. And all three of these gates are as heavily defended as is possible. So don't go through that gate. (laughs) Don't go through that gate. Or in fact, Mm. don't be anything but a high elf trying to get in. (laughs) So the kingdom, the elven kingdom of Nagrath, or the Shadowlands really, is in the northwestern section of Ulthuin. And when the Great Schism happened, known as the Sundering, that was the site where Malekith, who had been corrupted by his mother, and Marathi was the wife of the High King Anarion, who lifted the sword and damned his bloodline, That was the site of the rebellion against the high elf way of life. So what ended up happening was there was so much magic being thrown around so close to the chaos vortex that it literally ripped the cities of what would become the dark elves from the land. Their forces were destroyed, their principalities were flooded, and there's an incredible piece of art, which I'll dig out, which highlights the epic nature of this uh, conflagration and flooding. Interestingly, the fortresses and cities that were torn from the land were able to float through the use of high elf and now dark elf magic. And what they did was they sailed those over to a land that came to be known as Nagaroth, the land of chills, which is analogous to Canada and North America in our own world. Okay. So these these cities used to be on Ulthuin. Yes. And they just basically picked them up and fucked them over the sea. They got torn apart by immense magics during the battle between Malakith, 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 Mal, old old Mali and Mali. the High Elves. And was that was that one of those battles that was forever, I guess, recreated on that plane where they all, where all High Elf and Dark Elf battles are always kind of played over and over and over again? Yes, okay. I, I think it was so large that it was reflected in the Blighted Isle. I should say that mm. those fortresses and towers and cities perhaps that they managed to sail in quotes across the sea into Nagroth they formed the core of the the cities the dark elf cities they expanded then of course from there right okay 
as a nation then the dark elves pretty big it's huge yeah i'd say it's on a par with the outer ring of ulthuin so it's the size of ulthuin roughly and i mean in terms of numbers uh, do they equal the high elves not originally. I think it's come to equal that, but they're a very Darwinist... Yeah, a very rigorous bonking session yeah. to kind of get numbers up. Baby boom. <laughs> it's a very Darwinist culture. It's really the only the strong survive. Mm. So concepts like compassion and love are crushed as soon as a dark elf child is born. And they're raised wow. to hate high elves with a passion. We've all been there. Do they not hate other empirical nations or kind of allied nations are they all right with the humans or are they a bit like orcs they only care about themselves what's their attitude well they think of themselves as the true elven nation so if we can imagine how arrogant and condescending high elves are <laughs> if you think of the same with dark elves but the dark elves will stab anything including other dark elves at a moment's notice, if they can gain more power they from that. They sound very orcish, just with a bit more class. They've certainly earned the name Dark, I would say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, orcs really are kind of... Mindless. Mindless violence. The Dark Elves really are considered violence. Uh, and they will... The hate, more than anything. Yes, more than anything else, yeah. Scheming yeah, yeah. hate. Okay, the, or the orcs are just violent brutish and angry whereas yeah the dark elves have just got this festering burning hate and want revenge and revenge justice what they probably see is self-righteous justice for themselves yeah i mean they're an entire nation okay. that is geared towards invading ulthwood and taking over that's really what their primary focus is or the focus of their leadership. They expand and invade and gain territory and gain resources purely with the idea that they're feeding it all towards being able to retake uh, Ulthwin and sacrifice every single mm. high elf on an altar to Cain, the god of blood and murder. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's good to have a purpose, isn't it? I mean, it, like, it sounds yeah, like a kind of... Get up in the morning. Yeah, it kind of sounds like a, a simpler life, you know. It's I, 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 you know, having that singular purpose would be. I quite admire that, you know. I, I, I get pulled in about fifty different directions when I get a day off. I never know what to do with myself. <laughs> but if my only purpose was to wake up and plot to, to overthrow a nation, I, you know, sounds great. I'd be a happier man. I would be a happier man. <laughs> <laughs> I'd give it a spin. So in terms of where they're situated, as mentioned, analogous to our own North America and Canada, to their north are the Chaos Wastelands, the true Chaos Wastelands. And they defend themselves by uh, a huge range of watchtowers spread throughout the northern border. And these are on, of Sorry, course... Sorry, just to, just to clarify, you're now talking the borders of the Dark Elves realm and the Chaos realms, yes. or not Orthoan. But Nagaroth. Yes. And. Yeah, Ul Ulthwin's an island. It doesn't have a border. You know that we live on an island and we have an organization called the Border Patrol. There you go. I'll get my coat. <laughs> <laughs> so if we, if we head back to Nagaroth, 
the Land of Chill. It has a shared border with the Chaos Wastelands, and it's defended by a range of enormous watchtowers, which, amusingly, that's where ambitious Dark Elf Lords are sent when they overextend their reach. Their betters send them off as punishment to exile into these towers, where they're effectively expected to die defending people that can't stand them. Bumdale. Sounds a bit like the... um the Night's Watch in Game of Thrones? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very much that. But think spike your armor. I, I was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Less fur and more jagged pauldrons. <laughs> jagged pauldrons was the name I used to dance under. <laughs> How many aliases did you used to dance under, Dad? He used to do a lot of dancing. That's true. And the way I danced meant I had to move around and change my identity quite a lot. so nagroth is defined by this enormous inland sea in fact it's two inland sea the the areas are so large you're looking at when you come in the first internal sea is the sea of chill and towering over that sea is karond kar which is this enormous city which is known as the city of despair and that's where all the slavers the Dark Elf slavers deposit their catches and from there they're sold to the other Dark Elf cities and estates. Which is really ironic when you think about how many relaxation spas are dotted around the coast of the Sea of Chill. (laughs) The Sea of Chill. (laughs) And because there's so many slaves in Karondkar, it's also the home to enormous flocks of harpies again they look very much like the the harpies of greek myth except they live uh, atop the towers of Charon car and swoop down and snatch up slaves and the occasional dark elf when they can shit on your head when you least expect it yeah that sounds awful yeah as soon as you arrive in Charon car your life is over and there's a lot to be said for the fact that your life was over the moment you were captured by the Dark Elves. You're going to be worked to death in uh, mines. Handsome and beautiful looking slaves will work as servants in the towers of great lords and ladies and a suitable fighter would be allowed to fight in the great arena which is just uh, just down the coast from Nagarond which is the capital of Nagaroth. So moving in from Karondkar and the Sea of Chill, we come to this very large body of water called the Sea of Malice. And that's dominated really by two vast cities. One, the first dual encounter is called Harganeth, and that's where the witch elves and the cults of Cain reside. And so this is a city of murder that murder. Thousands of slaves a day are sacrificed to the god Cain. At nighttime, gangs of witch elves uh, and perhaps executioners as well will roam the streets looking for any open doors or any traveller or dark elf uh, out after dark. It's also the city where they train their assassins and the assassins of the dark elves are arguably the best assassins in the Warhammer world. It sounds both very cool and exhausting to live there i mean you, you, <laughs> every second of the day your life is on the line yeah. why would one live there apart from if you're going to be trained to be an assassin and i guess you're a, a follower of Cain. but even then it's like yeah man in fact the whole of the warhammer world is a pretty hostile place is there a balance at all so you've got all these horrible places like the city you just mentioned city of like the assassins in training and and, and the cults of Cain and things like that yeah. 
is there somewhere that is lovely? It's like Shangri-La, you know what I mean? It's like ambrosia what, and nectar. In, just In Nagaroth? Not in Nagaroth, anywhere in this world of Warhammer. Is there a bit of balance? I think Ulthuin sounds... Like, if you're if you're a high elf, Ulthuin probably is pretty pretty nice place. Yeah, but they've got... Uh, it's a nice place, but they're snobby. Do you know what I mean? Is there a place where it's just like, everyone's welcome? Uh, I think perhaps, and I'm going out on a limb here, the only place that is like that is the Moot, because it's the Halfling Kingdom. Okay, yeah. And even then, guests and fish start to smell after three days. So there's nowhere you can relax right. for a long time. So I, I suspect no, the, no. the answer is actually no. Yeah, oh, that's sad. Well, travel agents must have a fucking mission here. Mm. <laughs> yeah, ma'am. So moving, uh, moving west from Harganeth, we get to the capital, Nagarond. And this really is the seat of power of Malekith, the king of the Dark Elves, in where he lives with his mother-slash-lover, Marathi. What? Incest. His mother-lover? You son of a mother-lover. Hold on, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suspect after 7,000 years, your relationships might change. And there's one fucked up relationship. That is just wrong. Okay. So Nagarond really is the seat of the ultimate seat of power in the, the Dark Elf Kingdom. It's where all the movers and or shakers live and, and where you need to go to petition Malekith for any great feat that you're about to, to try. You mentioned there, Chris, that it doesn't sound like a terribly good place to live. And that's on purpose. Malekith does this deliberately. He wants to create... Uh, a race of warriors, a race of the strong, because he believes that they failed in their attempt, their original attempt, to take over Ulthuin because they were weak, because they ran. And so he's creating I a see. race of psychologically brutal, unyielding warriors so that they can conquer Ulthuin and slaughter every single person there. Wow. Or die trying. Or die trying. Okay. So running under the mountains on the western side of Nagaroth are these enormous caves and caverns, almost an entire continent underneath the surface continent. And in there dwell effectively dinosaurs, really angry dinosaurs. Say what now? Yeah, called the Cold Ones. And these are these dragon-esque steeds that the Dark Elves tame and ride them into battle. It should be noted that they're great beast masters. The Dark Elves excel at capturing all kinds of different and kind of wildly varied monsters. Like really angry badgers. Really angry. But I think you have a thing for badgers. I don't have a thing for badgers. You wouldn't tell, would you? You you mention every episode. I mean, I'd be very wary of having anything to do with an angry badger, to be honest. Unless, of course, you were a dark elf and you were able to tame it. And then it might not be such an angry badger. Well, I think that's going to be a great euphemism we can start using in our private lives. Then, uh, <laughs> yeah, she really tamed my badger. <laughs> <laughs> I was a real angry badger before I got this one. <laughs> Given that they're such great beastmasters, it's unsurprising to discover that some of their larger vessels, some of the larger ships, aren't wind-powered. They are, in fact, pulled along by sea serpents and enormous sea lizards. Nice. That's very cool. So you not only have to contend with these kind of rapid-fire bolt throwers that they've got on all the decks of their ships, but then you may also get nom-nommed by some angry dragons. Some nommy nommy nom noms Wow. 
Well, shit. So moving south then from Nagaroth, we come to Lustria, our final stop on this tour of the Warhammer world. And Lustria is the great continent empire of the Lizardmen. If you recall, the Slan, which you guys kept calling the Flange, uh, Flange. Lizardmen, the Saurus warriors, the Skink priests the croxagor effectively lizard men ogres and so this is the great nation the first nation on the planet of warhammer that mirrors certainly in aesthetics the mesoamerican the incan aztec mayan civilizations of our own world and it really is a kingdom that spans from what would in our world be the north of Mexico straight down to the tip of Argentina with nice. numerous pyramidal cities. You said that the Lizardmen were also in the Southlands, is that right? Yes, back when the world was still formed as one large continent, when the Slan built their kind of empire, there was a, a Slan who rides on the back of a stegodon of effectively a, a triceratops in our own world called Mazda Mundi. And what he did is he tore apart the continents. So the bit of the Southlands, again, mirroring our own geography, the Southlands or Africa would join up with the bottom of Lustria, which would be South America in our world. So that's how that uh, got okay. over there. Gotcha. But he also quite famously did a what I like to call doing a Moses and created a dry path between Lustria and the Southlands to come to the aid of a group that were being attacked. That's not a constant dry run that he just summoned parted the water as yeah. it were when it was needed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like the the channel tunnel. It's it's not permanent. <laughs> no. <laughs> the, the channel tunnel. Okay. Got it. So the, the, the continent of Lustria is just thick with these pyramidal cities, the first of which was called Itza, I-T-Z-A. There are hundreds of these cities dotted around Lustria, all on significant points on ley lines. And I think to describe one of these cities would be to describe all of them. If you can imagine a thick jungle canopy with these enormous stepped pyramids of various sizes coming out of the undergrowth. And atop each one is either a shrine to an old one or like a floating crystal or a floating stone that feeds into the kind of geomantic energy that keeps the communication between the slan going across the entire continent. Effectively, a phone line hmm. of magic. That's amazing. In the grounds of each of these huge pyramids, you have marshalling grounds where the armies would gather. But then more importantly, you have the spawning grounds where the next generation of lizard men are created, of the lizard men races. The most frequent spawnings are the skinks, who are the kind of small, effectively a lizardy halfling. And you the, say skinks, aren't skinks amphibious? So do they spawn and become like tadpoles and newts or yeah, are they eggs? Yeah. Do they come out of eggs or? Yes. Well, they would come out of eggs anyway, but I think it's a spawn rather than an individual laying of eggs. But these spawns are sponsored by either a slan or an old one or the spirit or memory of an old one, according to the great plan. If you recall, before the old ones fucked off when chaos turned up, they wrote down, here's what would have happened on the great golden plaques that adorn most of these temples. And so spawnings happen at times 
that have been foretold by the old ones and sponsored by that individual old one. And it's the coloration of these skinks. And in fact, it's the coloration of any lizard man that tells you which god spawned them. The I most see. impressive being the albino spawnings, which are sponsored by all of the old ones, if memory serves. And these are the ones that become the prophets and the priests that serve the slan. Okay. <laughs> all right. Sponsored by... That's an interesting term. <laughs> this spawning was sponsored by Pepsi. <laughs> You've been watching. And now a word from our sponsors. <laughs> so the great mountain range that runs down the west coast of the, the continent of Lustria is called the Spine of Sotek. And if you recall, Sotek is the serpent god, the most popular old one of the lizard men, and the arch nemesis of all skaven everywhere that oh. son of a bitch, <laughs> bitch. <laughs> ben no likey <laughs> he's so mean he's his <sighs> and really then that's it that's the end of a quick journey around the warhammer world outside of the old world shit that was that amazing is fascinating i've got to say that the story of Uthwan and the separation of the High Elf and the Dark Elf Society. I think that was the most absorbing story. I do have a question. Go ahead. Going back east to near Morn, the mountains of Morn, and the roads, the trading passes and roads that we are paralleled with, like the Silk Road and the Spice Road. Yes, through the mountains of Morn and the Darklands, yeah. What kind of merchant, human merchant, in their right mind would want to go through this huge land which could swallow the old world on its own you know they've got to be paid a pretty penny for that you know and yeah. are they protected and you know they're going to be under assault all the time by everyone there yeah what kind of mad merchant have you got to be to do that job uh, you've got to be perhaps not avaricious but ambitious because a single caravan successfully makes it through, you only ever need to do it once. You can write your own ticket in you the old off. world after right. that. You can buy a castle. Right, okay. Because you've yeah. not only got to get across the entire Darklands and then through the Mountains of Morn, but you've then also got to come all the way back with all of that gold. Yeah. Fuck me. That is a challenge. Or you just take your money and just set up over in the Far East instead, where it's always warm and the yeah. food's delicious. Sounds like a plan. Okay, so it's kind of like every merchant's peak in their career. It's like, if you can make it over there and sell, you're set for life. And only a handful of people, I guess, have ever done that. Yeah, absolutely. I really like the um, the story of the land of the dead. I like that there's j just a, an apocalyptic event, which is still the state of play. You know, it didn't it It's didn't a change. loose end. It's not been, yeah. there's, no, there's been no closure on it. It's unresolved. There's one guy fucked an entire country and just... That was it. They're all dead. Like I imagine there would just be, you know, entire cityscapes that are still in the state they were when everyone was killed. Yeah. Except the only thing that's changed is that all of those people that killed are still walking around undead. If I'm recalling correctly, the whole thing happened in an afternoon. Or at the very least in a twenty four hour period. Yeah, that's just So it was a thriving, bustling nation. And then within 24 hours, it was brains. <laughs> yeah, it was instantly a land of skeletons. I think all the flesh was just magically boiled off 
That is. Yeah. <laughs> and so the, the last surviving member of the Nehekaran race was this Al-Kadizar, was the guy who Nagash had captured. And in fact, mm. Nagash had captured him because he had led part of the rebellion to get rid of him. And so he wanted to show him what happens to people who rebel. So he was going to destroy his whole kingdom. That's what you get. That's what you get. Yo. So, Dar, that is, that's the geography, right? So we've got a, a pretty good idea of where everything lies now. Where do we go from here? What's the next step? I think really that's up to you guys. What I would suggest is we take each civilization slash kingdom and do a bit of a deep dive into it Love and it. Mm. spend a couple of episodes exploring what it looks like going into a bit more depth than we've done so far, having a look at concepts about where these things fit together uh, i remember in episode one we went from the populating of the world to when the vortex was successfully constructed mm -hmm. so we would look at events from that time forward for individual races and groups or kingdoms so really what kind of kingdoms would you guys be interested in having a look at I would like to give the Skaven some love, actually. Oh, Chris, you just say the nicest things. Well, I'm going to go ahead and say I would like to hear a little bit more about the orcs, even though it's not true. <laughs> yeah, let's go to the orcs then. Yeah, Ben said it. Go on, orcs, go. Reverse psychology, baby. You In bastard. <laughs> Alrighty, that's all from us. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about the topics we've discussed in this podcast, you can find all the reference articles in the show notes. And we'll be back again next month displaying just how little Chris and I know. Until then, ta-ta. See ya. Toodaloo.